0: Hello, one and all, and welcome to the second edition of Talking T20 here on ESPN Quick Info. I am Daniel Norcross. I am joined by polymath and all round young whiz kid Matt Roller in my back garden in Tooting for reasons that are a bit too complicated to explain, but they're largely about logistics. Uh, Matt, it's lovely to have you here in leafy,
1: delicious, jungular South London. Thanks very much, Dan. Always nice to come south of the river and see how, see how the other half live. So, uh, yeah, delighted to be joining you.
0: Uh, we live the life of luxury. Now then, this time last week, we were talking about the T20, the Vitality T20 Blast to be. We were speculating, we gave you our ideas of who were going to do well and who weren't. A little bit more of that anon, because I'm not sure that we've nailed it on the evidence of the first 15 games. 15 games, five of which were washed out, 10 of which produced results, some of which produced some astounding and amazing cricket Uh, we will chew the cud look back on those matches, we will do our rigorous walk of shame for those bowlers who are smacked around the park, and there were a few this week many of them in the same game, it has to be said and we will look forward to the games that are to come, but first of all Matt I want to ask you when we went to our first Vitality Blast matches last week, I went to Trent Bridge to see the holders Worcestershire against Nottinghamshire. You went to Lords to see Middlesex and A.B. de Villiers and all his pomp and E.O.I.N. Morgan, the notorious Irish vowel thief, as he paraded the World Cup. And, uh, and quite magnificently, when asked um, if he could touch it by a, by a member of the MCC, he said, this cup is as much yours as it is mine he's got it right hasn't he he's got it absolutely spot on has English cricket got it spot on because it felt like that was a day of celebration at Lords
1: well everyone was basking in that uh, that post-World Cup final glow I think uh, you know lovely evening I'd, I'd forgotten until I reached St John's Wood just how many people wearing suits would be in attendance but everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves um, especially when AB started whacking some uh, back of a length bowling into the grandstand and the mound, so yeah, a lovely evening really and a good way to start the competition as far as I was concerned.
0: Well it felt like that at Trent Bridge as well, about you know 150 odd miles up the M1 uh, Mick Newell told me that 2,700 tickets had been sold in the immediate Gosh. aftermath of the World Cup over the course of the next couple of days after that World Cup final and it felt like that, there was a real sort of buzz, there was also a sort of sense that people hadn't quite worked out there watching T20 yet because it's a real gear change, isn't it? The crowd took a little while to warm up at Trent Bridge, certainly, but it was there, and it was there in abundance. And do you, do you sense that this actually might be a kind of sea change? We talked last week a little bit about the 100 looming on the horizon, but this final iteration of the T20 Blast at this time of year has got off to an absolutely cracking
1: start. Yeah, I mean, obviously the weather's been slightly disappointing. We lost five games completely... Um... To the weather, but as we as we bask in the late evening sun, I'm optimistic that we might get some some uh, some more full twenty over games in from now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, back on the back of your comment about uh, the attendance at Knots, there was similarly good news at uh, Old Trafford, where Lancashire had the highest non roses domestic attendance for I think about a decade. Um, got thirteen or fourteen thousand for their game on Sunday against Durham, and yeah, I think I, I you know the blast has always punched. Um, tried as hard as it can to punch above its weight given the sort of lack of funding and attention the detail and the scheduling that it receives um and yeah i'm 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 relatively hopeful that uh that there is a certain post world cup buzz around the place and that people will go to go to games
0: well um why don't we without further ado review what has taken place because it has been quite a rollercoaster start let, let's begin with your match at uh, Lords, between Middlesex and Essex Middlesex are perennial underachievers and yet I suppose if anybody's going to get them out of their bottom of the table gloom it's going to be well one of the world's most exciting if not the best T20 batsman A.B. De Villiers and he put on one hell of a show didn't he at Lords?
1: He did um, he's only there for six games which is an important qualifier um, because this is a notoriously long T20 tournament and he's, he's off before too long at all um, I say there's a parakeet crows in the background um, but yeah I think um, I, I I have never particularly brought it brought into the uh, the concept of momentum as a really important thing in t20 i think it's a particularly overrated one and you know i think almost always the teams that come out on top are the ones that have the best players and have the best tactics and get a little slice of luck rather than the ones that go on a particular role but a lot of players and a lot of coaches are still convinced by it um and if there is any way that they can get the campaign rolling it will surely be through ab de villiers um if he's in that sort of form um As he was on Thursday night. It was interesting to see Essex hatch hatch quite an obvious plan early that they were going to bowl lots of spin at him, um, which worked extremely well in the IPL this year. He he really, him and Virat Kohli both had notably poor. Um and sort of uncharacteristically poor records against Spin and the Googly in particular, but he said afterwards that he was perfectly happy attacking uh Essex's two spinners who were Adam Zamper and Simon Harmer, both pretty, you know, reasonably high caliber. Um and I you know, I I don't think Essex bowled particularly well, but that is what happens when people are people are slightly daunted with the face at the other end when they're inexperienced. I wrote in my report of the game there's you know, there's a reason why tennis players double more when they're playing against Federer and there's a reason why golfers perform worse when tiger woods is in the same tournament and it's because this sort of imposing specter of one of the one of the greats of t20 cricket at the other end throws you off your rhythm Uh,
0: a little word on tom helm because he often goes under the radar and i think one of the things that i particularly am going to be interested about in this t20 blast is the power of pace we saw what a difference it made in the 50 over world cup throughout the last six seven weeks last year we were all talking about mystery leg spin and We ran a feature last year on which leg spinners were doing well. Not many have done this week, and we are right in the heart of summer here when pitches ought to be conducive for them, but the pace men have come to the fore. We'll talk a little bit about Fidel Edwards shortly, but Tom Helm, three for 27. Uh, Do you think that, that Middlesex might just have stumbled across a formula? Because... You know, bowling is so important in T Twenty. It's all very well waxing lyrical about AB de Villiers, as you say, he's not going to be there for awfully long. And batsmen do come in and out of form. Your bowlers are key. We talked about it with Sussex. Have Middlesex got the bowling to do a sustained challenge? Do you think this year?
1: Um, I'm going to be completely honest and say no. I don't think so. Um, they have. They have some kind of a plan. On, on the evidence of Thursday night um, they're going to try and bowl Majib as much as possible in the power play they gave him three of the six uh, on Thursday night but I think while Helm is a you know, perfectly serviceable seamer, I don't think he's an attack leader and while Stephen Finn and Toby rowland jones are perfectly useful Red Bull bowlers, I'm not convinced by either of them as a death bowler, and I'm not convinced by either of them as a power play bowler. So, it's asking quite a lot of them. Uh, Nathan Souter is the sort of plucky leg spinner that they that they uh, call upon most seasons in T20, and I, I don't know. He doesn't quite do it for me. I think he's you know he's he's, he's clearly a decent young talent, but I don't think he's a uh, a blast winning leggy Put it that way um. So Roller you, you've
0: come out with it You said last week that Middlesex were um, Hopeless in effect And didn't stand <laughs> a chance And you're sticking by your guns You're saying this is a false dawn um, and, I, and I admire you for that Because obviously we'll be able to point out Whether you're right or wrong In about seven or eight weeks time uh, On the same night That very same night in the South Group Glamorgan went off like an absolute train They were 90 off about nine and a half overs I say limped to 180 for five. It was a pretty serviceable total on what looks to be a good track at Cardiff. I think if you fancy going for a run fest, then Cardiff could be the place to go. Because Somerset nailed that run chase. They nailed it by eight wickets with two overs to spare. Tom Banton, that we're all very, very excited about. We started seeing compilations of his innings on Twitter. He was playing reverses here and reverse hooks, sweeps, punches down the ground. He's gotta be getting your juices rolling, especially since you're a man from that general part of the country, Matt.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was a serious innings from Banton the other night. He was I, I... The, the way that him and Babar Azam complement each other as openers is, is quite, you know, it's something to behold, really. There, there was a, a, a compilation of those two and their best shots of the night, which obviously is always going to look good, just like how whenever a new signing gets looked up in football on YouTube, that every, everyone thinks that they're going to be the next Ronaldo because of the fact that if you push together someone's best bits of, over the course of their career they obviously do look good but yeah the, the combination of Babar's drives down the ground and Banton's scoops and reverse laps off the seamers and all this sort of nonsense was yeah quite something um but of course important to remember that they then came crashing down with uh, yet another defeat at Canterbury which was their 11th straight to Kent in T20 is a little stat for you one of the longest such streaks I believe uh in T20 history. So, yeah, they have some kind of Canterbury curse.
0: Well, let's move straight on to to Kent, because in this week of five matches in each group that were actually completed, it's Kent's only side that's come out of this with two wins. And Kent, again, I don't think they were one of your fancy teams last week. I have to say, um, Matt, that I don't think any of us really thought that Kent were going to do the biz. But they've done it with an all-round team effort in both games, haven't they? There are no real standout performances. Alex Blake, we always expect a bit of biffing from him. He got an unbeaten 50 in 38 balls against Hampshire in the latest game. Um, Kayum, 5 for 21 to tear apart Somerset, bowled them out for 124. But Ollie Robinson with 53 was the only major contributor for Kent. They're not a team of stars, but they started magnificently. They look like they've got a plan. They look like they know what they're doing
1: i would urge you dan to revisit last week's pod i had kent as one of my four to go through in the south so i will i will count that as a as a minor victory that i've uh you fought are you line sure are you absolutely sure please revisit the footage <laughs> norky please do uh, i'm more than happy for you to. but yeah no i having made that prediction i then saw their team stripped of denley and billings and co on uh on, on friday night or saturday night it would have been and suddenly was quite worried about that but uh yeah no ollie robinson played a good innings uh nabby launched into somerset's spinners i think in the middle overs and scored it was one of the few people he really got going there and then there were these little contributions at the end that kind of took it away from somerset a bit i think 165 was probably um just under par but from a position where they should have been Way under, having lost quite a lot of wickets in the middle overs, and then it was these guys like Kyam and Villieu and the enders Really, he uh, gave he gave it a little bit of a whack, and I think Somerset missed Lewis Gregory and then battered very poorly.
0: Well, um, these things will happen. It's a long campaign, fourteen games. Uh, we're going to gloss over Gloucestershire's match against Glamorgan. It was rained off after Glamorgan had succumbed to ninety six for eight. Benny Howell, though, taking five for eighteen, just proving that his worth in T20 cricket. That's not going away anytime soon. But there's an elephant in the room. It's an elephant that I went to watch. And this elephant clambered around the room of Chelmsford really quite spectacularly. It was a match that I can barely put into words, even though that was indeed my job on the night. (laughs) A a 15-over-a-side game that never looked like it was going to happen. There had been rain pouring down in Chelmsford all through the day. Then... They went out to start the match at 7 o'clock, then the rain came again. It was horribly difficult conditions for bowling, and I'm going to give that as extenuating circumstances for bowlers on both sides. But 30 over match, in effect, 15 overs a side, 31 sixes. Cameron Delport, 129 from 49 balls, I believe it was at the end. Seven fours, 14 sixes, 14 sixes in a 15 over a side game. You know, the record for a number of sixes in any form of cricket, I believe, is Owen Morgan's 17 against Afghanistan in the World Cup. Delport looked for all the world like he was going to get there and beyond. And you sort of but really rubbing your eyes. You couldn't believe what you were seeing. There are some ugly bowling figures. We're going to come on to that in a minute. But what a spectacular game of, I say a game of cricket. I mean, I've not really ever watched anything like it. I think I counted 12 lost balls. And Chelmsford isn't the biggest ground I know, but if you're hitting the ball into the river and out into the flats and over the Hayes Close, then I'm afraid those are those are enormous sixes. It was a bizarre night. Daniel Lawrence, we've got to talk about him. I mean, he got 57 in that game in next to no time. There was a time I think he was going faster actually than Delport. We're wondering if Delport was hogging the strike. If you can imagine such a thing, let me just run through you some bowling figures here because we're going to do our walk of shame a bit early because this match rather determines it Uh, Sam Curran two overs one for 28 bowled pretty well (laughs) Tom Curran his brother three overs no maidens none for 63 is that the most expensive three over spell in T20 history it surely feels like it have brothers ever conceded 91 runs in a T20 game in five overs Five overs. Imran Tahir, the great hope for Surrey, coming in as one of their overseas pros. And it was, I hasten to add, it were, it was very difficult conditions. <laughs> the ball was wet, it was, the outfield was soggy, but two overs, none for 39. But that partnership put on 135 between Delport and Lawrence in seven overs. I mean, these are numbers that are unimaginable. Ricky Clark, two overs, none for 33. Gareth Batty, three overs, two for 38. Between those four bowlers, five bowlers, all international bowlers, 12 overs, 201 runs. It was a night to remember, I tell you. And Surrey didn't get that far away in the end, actually. 174 for seven. We even had the extraordinary spectacle of seeing four wickets go down for one run. (laughs) I believe at the end of Matt Quinn's first over, he had figures of one over, no maidens, three for 13. (laughs) <laughs> it was comprised of two sixes a single and three wickets. I was watching. I don't know what I was watching, but it was a truly spectacular sight.
1: Well, from the ECB's point of view, they'll be hoping that it's a sign of things to come. It's only ten balls shorter than a certain competition that's uh, heading our way next summer. And, yeah, it'll be, I, wonder, I wonder if that is a, uh, a sign that teams will be more willing to put the foot fully down on the accelerator from minute one next summer. Uh, I, in all likelihood I doubt it is. I think it will be very much a shortened T20 as much as anything but here's hoping.
0: Well a lot of it had to do with the pitch. There's no doubt about that. Uh, one little vignette I'll give you is that there's a, a lovely fan there at Essex. IC. every time I go there he always says, always says hello and he was very upset that the game had been reduced to 15 overs because a local taco company offers free taco to anybody with a ticket at Chelmsford, if 200 is scored by either side. <laughs> and he said, "Well, that's torn it. No tacos for me. I'm going to get 215 overs, my, my, my dear old thing." He do that with three overs to spare. If it hadn't been for Jade Dernbach's absolutely brilliant spell towards the end, they really could have been. It could have been 240. They were looking at. It was berserk. Um, just a little shout-out for Will Jacks. I mentioned him last week. He hit the first four balls of Surrey's reply for four, then a single, then two sixes. He was on 29 from seven balls. (laughs) We really did wonder, no, surely not. Surely they can't chase down 227 to win in 15 overs. And they couldn't. But there was just a brief moment. I think we're going to see a little bit more of Will Jacks. Anyway, that's the the South group. The result of it is that... um, Kent have won both their games, Essex, Middlesex, Somerset have all got wins Gloucestershire, Glamorgan, Hampshire, Sussex on the board by dint of abandonments, which is quite handy and Surrey propping up the table with that rather severe loss Uh, So, South Group done and dusted I believe you have been in conversation with none other than T20 specialist Harry Gurney So why don't we have a listen to that
1: Harry, um, very early days yet yeah, in the blast, um, but not been a completely ideal start to the competition. Um, how do you reflect on the defeat against Worcestershire on Thursday night?
2: Um, I think from our perspective, uh, we bowled really well for about 17 overs, and then we let them get away a little bit at the end. Um, but we've, we've analysed, you know, all of us as bowlers have analysed our spells and actually We're talking sort of a couple of balls each. Uh, that got punished by, by Bar, who played really well and got them to what we think was probably slightly above par. Um, and then it just never really got going with the bat, unfortunately. Um, the exception of Alex Hales, it was, um, you yeah, know, the run chase never really got going. So um, we'd like to think we'd uh, we'll we'll chase better than that going forward, and we'll finish the innings with the ball better than that going forward. But uh, the key is to peak on the on the twenty first of September at Cheltenham.
1: Uh, it was quite an unusual uh, Trent Bridge pitch. We're used to it being a sort of two hundred plays two hundred or even more than that ground over the last few years. Do you think that's a, a sign of things to come? Uh,
2: yes and no. I mean, I think there will be across the country this year some tired pitches, particularly in televised games because of the World Cup. Uh, there tend to be only sort of three or four pitches at every ground that can be used on TV because there's a gantry behind for the cameraman. And, um, at all of the test World Cup host grounds, obviously they've, they've been used this year quite extensively. So you're going to get, um, particularly in Sky Games, as I say, you're going to get used pitches. So there will be more of that. Um, that being said, I would expect uh, the pitch for our next two home games, uh, to be a little bit more like, become accustomed to because it isn't televised and it's not quite in central square.
1: Uh, three games in quick succession this week. Um, presumably you see that as very much an opportunity to, to hit the ground running.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. It's, uh, it's good to, you know, when, you, when you lose a game, it's good to get back out there as quickly as you can. Um, obviously, we didn't start brilliantly with a, with a loss against Worcester, so we're happy to get back out there and have these three back-to-back games. and. Um you can get us uh, out the beauty of that the beauty of that is by the end of uh, by sort of Saturday evening we could be uh we could be right up there in the division if we did it
1: right you obviously signed a white boy only contract at the start of the season um but in the championship it's been quite tough going for not so far what is the mood in the squad Um is are you in a position for the blast where everyone's kind of looking forward to letting the shackles off a bit
2: Boys are really excited about the blast. I think uh, it's you know, right, the mood's surprisingly good. Uh, we've got we've got a class back backroom staff and we've got a changing room full of full of talent. Um, yes, they haven't quite got things right at the championship, but uh, but there's
1: no doubt there's a lot of
2: ability in there and, and, and we've got um, uh, great facilities and great support staff. So we think that success that success will come um, and beauty of a fresh competition is it's a clean slate um, in, in the middle of July you've got a chance to do that. You know, you know, we don't have to wait till, wait till April for a brand new
1: competition starting. Um, as well as yourself and Dan Christie and the other guys sort of come into the side I suppose for the T20 is Alex Hales who's uh, back for his first I suppose extended stretch of cricket since uh, he was deselected from the World Cup squad. Um, has it been easy for him to come back?
2: Yeah it has. Um, he's especially did really well uh, to be honest. I wasn't around when he when he, when he first came back into the group. Uh, he came back in for a, a game at Grantham against Durham in the Big uh, over competition, and they had a training day there. And the and match was actually washed out. But by all accounts, um, within five minutes of him being in the changing room on that day, going back, the boys were getting stuck into him, and everything was uh, everything was very normal. You know, there was no there was no in the room or anything like that, which is. Um, which is a sign of a healthy changing room. And, uh, yeah, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's, uh, it's, uh, he's completely focused on his cricket and we're just completely focused on enjoying playing with him because he's a world class player.
1: You mentioned finals day, um, a couple of minutes ago. Is that the minimum expectation this year?
2: Uh, I always say with, with, uh, these knockout competitions, I said the same thing when people ask me about the World Cup, uh in England's chances. For me, uh, I think it's fair. To to uh, sit here now and say yes we should get out of the group and yes that is definitely our aim um, beyond that it's then knockout cricket you know so I wouldn't say finals days a minimum expectation I would say getting out of the group is a minimum expectation mm-hmm. and then uh, obviously from there we'd hope to then go deep in the tournament but um, as you know particularly in white ball cricket when you get to uh, when you get to the knockout days one individual can, can take the game away from you so um yeah, we, we'll be trying to get out of the group, um, ideally with a home with a home quarter. But uh, but if you offered me just qualification for the quarters now, it's not going to
1: From a um, from a personal point of view, do you set yourself any any targets for the season?
2: No, not really. No, uh, I mean I used to when I played all forms. I used to
1: want
2: x amount of wickets in the season for me. A benchmark, a good season was seventeen all forms. Yeah, uh, but. Now, no, I don't really anymore. It's just, it's just, you know, at my age, it's just about winning trophies. That's you know, some sort of the best days of your life. So, you want to recreate that as much as, as, much as you can while you're still playing. Your focus becomes more, more sort of team based, I guess, because you become more assured of your spot inside. I think earlier on in your career, you, uh, you're thinking about yourself and making your way in the game, and you want to go off and play for England and all that kind of stuff. But once you once you get a bit old and decrepit like me, you just want to win trophies, really.
1: Well, on the subject of trophies, how do you reflect on uh, your sort of first winter on the on the global T Twenty circuit? You clearly had quite a bit of success early on, and and had the IPL experience. What are your general reflections on it?
2: Um, just that it was an amazing experience. Really, I was very fortunate to play in some really strong teams um, and you know, win the T Ten, win the Big Bash, win the PSL. Albeit in the T Ten and PSL, I didn't feature heavily, uh, but the Big Bash. Big Bash was a really special one for me. You know, it's a competition I've admired from a distance for for many years. And uh, to get a chance just to play in it, I was, I was you know, over the moon with. So to go over there and play a key role and and win a Man of the Match award and perform consistently and go on and win that trophy was a huge career highlight for me. Uh, And then the experience of IPL was just absolutely amazing. You know, we didn't quite make it out of the group in the end, but... um, what what an amazing competition in and in an amazing country! You know, I loved every second of it. The, the time over
1: there absolutely flew. On on the topic of the IPL, um, I was quite interested following it to see that you you sort of took a slightly different role almost, and that you were more successful bowling in the power play and the middle overs than you are at the death. Which is, um, I suppose, the opposite of what your reputation has become over the past few years. Do you have any sort? Of, do you think that was pitch related? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, I've, I was acutely
2: aware of that myself. I went I went from the big bash where I was bowling one over in the power play, one in the middle and two at the death. And I bowled uh, really well at the death, going at sevens. And, and I think, as you point out, that's sort of where I've built my reputation, really. Mm. Uh, and then I arrived at the IPL and uh, was bowling two in the power play, uh, picking up wickets and bowling quite economically and then getting belted at the death. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think it, I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of factors. I think, uh, there seems to be a little bit more help in India, believe it or not, with the new ball than probably in England or Australia. Mm. Uh, but then come the end of the innings, it's sort of the opposite. It's strange. It's, um, there's a little bit of nibble up front, but then, but then by the time you get to those last five overs, you know, the outfield's are lightning. The grounds are small, uh, and the, you know, it obviously, the seems soft, and there's no shine on the ball, and, and you're playing against and bowling at the best, you know, the best batters in the world yeah. in that format. Um, so challenging, very challenging. And I and I learned, I think, as the IPL went on, uh, that I need to maybe slightly adapt my game for Indian conditions. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, I go back in 2020 and. and and get to sort of put into action what I learned this year.
1: And do you see that becoming a, a typical winter for you over the next few years?
2: Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm always, uh, slightly pessimistic in my, uh, expectations and in the sense that I don't want to get my hopes up for anything. So, mm. uh, until I've got a, a deal sort of locked in, I just personally just assume that, um, you know, for my own preparation for the winter and my finances and all that kind of stuff, I just assume that it's not going to happen until it's locked in. So, yes, uh, yeah, it's not been announced yet, but I am going back to the Big Bash. Uh, I'm signed again for the Renegades, so that's sort of locked in, and um, I've got the Euro Slam. But beyond that, um, I just sort of cross my fingers. I think I'm hoping KKR will take me back, and yeah, my in my ideal winter that certainly involves the Big Bash and the IPL. But
1: uh, let's see. What have you been up to over the past couple of months? Obviously not had a game since the Royal London quarters or semi rather. Um, Has it, has it been a case of downtime by the time with the family or have you been in the gym doing lots of training?
2: Uh, so I had a week or two completely off. Um, and then I had three weeks of just gym work, no, no bowling or batting or fielding. Um, so that was like a five week break from cricket. Um, and then I started bowling again four weeks before the blast started. So, and just building up slowly, um, and, uh, and trying to get rid of the cobwebs. So, uh, yeah, I did have, like as I say, two weeks completely off, and then three weeks of just gym work. So during that five week period, I was able to spend a lot more time with my family, get a couple of uh, trips, you know, weekends away with my wife, and. and um, Focus on my businesses as well, which um, has been has
1: been good. Getting stuck into them again, so but now I'm back in back in cricket mode. Um, looking through the blast schedule, obviously your first game was on Sky. Um, but until the end of the group stage, there's I think only one more knocks game on TV. Um, yeah. you you've been quite a high profile advocate of the hundred and uh, more games being on free to air TV. Does that sort of lack of visibility prove your point? Do you think that the current setup isn't working?
2: No, not really. I mean, I, I mean, some years knocks so are on four or five times in the group stages. Sometimes they're not. I mean, I, I mean, the free-to-air things are tricky. One, you speak to the guys in Australia, they all say that when the Big Bash moved to terrestrial TV, it, it was a game changer, mm. uh, and the crowds increased, and um, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's a there's a tricky balance to find as well, uh, in the sense that it's, uh, it's all very well. You know, you could put every single match of the 100 on terrestrial TV and that wouldn't generate anywhere near the income for the game that mm. potentially other broadcasters might. So there is a balance to be found there. It appears you need to safeguard the future of the game financially, but at the same time, uh, it's potentially an investment to uh, get some to there because then that obviously encourages more participation in the sport and there's more people interested in it who, who then become contributors commercially to the... To the you know. The of the future of the sport so there's a balance and I would say probably if I'm honest it, it looks like the ECB have probably got it about right because there are going to be games on, on the stretch of, uh, and there are also going to be a lot of games that, that been sold for a lot of money to, to be televised on, on
1: Sky as well and lots of counties building on that have been have been reporting that their, uh, their sales have gone miles up in the wake of the World Cup final is that something that excites you as a pro and excites the dressing room?
2: Yeah, I mean it's amazing the fact that the World Cup was televised on uh, the World Cup final was televised on terrestrial TV was a fantastic gesture. I thought from Sky, uh, it's superb for the game, superb for the game in general. You know, it's, uh, participation's been has been declining at the grassroots level for a long time. Hopefully, this goes some way to reducing that decline, and if um, it boosts ticket sales as well for the counties and. That's a great thing for the game as well, because as we know over the recent years, even as we speak now, there are certain counties out there that are really struggling financially.
0: So, the North Group, similarly, five matches completed. There were eight games scheduled, so three abandonments. We'll run you through those very briefly Worcestershire against Warwickshire, Leicestershire against Lancashire, Yorkshire against Nottinghamshire, all abandoned without a ball bowl. This was just a front of rain that I'm afraid came through on a particular day and it destroyed the cricket that day. It was a very disappointing. I want to start, though, with the first game in the North Group, the one I was attending, Trent Bridge. Knots, pre-tournament favourites in some, in some people's eyes, certainly. And Worcestershire, last year's winners. Now, Nottinghamshire has struggled. We talked about it a little bit last week, about where they've been in the county championship, and they struggled again, actually, in this match. Worcestershire, on a difficult pitch. It wasn't a classic Trent Bridge pitch at all. It was quite slow, a little bit, I say two paced That might have been something to do with the skill of the bowlers. Had it not been for Ed Barnard's spectacular 19-ball, 42, what a player he is, love to know your thoughts on him, and Moeen Alley with 32 off 25, then Worcestershire weren't getting anywhere near 161. And for Knott's, the entire innings hinged on Alex Hales because everyone around him fell apart. Moeen Alley returning to domestic cricket after a long time out with England. Four for 18 in four. Ed Barnard picked up the crucial wicket of Hales. He also took an incredible catch. Worcestershire ended up comfortable winners by 38 runs. Ed Barnard. I want to talk about him because he is a sort of Pat Brown, Benny Howell, these guys that appear in T20 Blast year upon year and they don't let you down, do they, Matt?
1: Yeah, he's a serious player Barnard. Um it's it's striking how strong worcestershire look i think this year they were written off by almost everyone last year i think before the tournament they went in at something like 33 to one they were written off before the quarters they were written off before finals day and they went and won it um and i think their team is if anything stronger or at least their team for that game was um i wonder whether the loss of moeen who is clearly quite an inspirational respected figure as well in that dressing room he's a you know, senior pro bat in the bat at four. I think these days, um, and yeah, hit spin like no one else. And took four for eighteen in his four from memory on Thursday. So, um, yeah, I wonder if the loss of Moeen is going to hit them. Uh, but equally, you know, Daryl Mitchell wasn't playing the other day, and he, he's a decent guy to be having on your bench. And. Yeah, uh, Martin Guptill is surely due a return to form at some point, Callum Ferguson's in there, Wayne Parnell is in there, lots of sort of unsung heroes really, cult figures from overseas Um, and yeah, I I think they could really do a job.
0: They actually looked like a team that knew what they were doing and I know you'd expect these teams to do, they're professional cricketers of course, but there was a sense in the matches I saw live and the matches I saw on TV that there's a recalibration that needs to take place when you come into T20 and... Not every side's hit the ground running. Um, it was noticeable in the way Surrey bowled, for example. It was noticeable in the way that Knott's batted and approached the game. It, there's bound to be that little bit of a hiccup when you're trying to readjust the T20. But Worcestershire, they feel to me like a side that knows what they're doing. And I think we're going to see a lot of them. I think we're going to see a lot of Martin Guptill and Moeen Ali. Well, I say we're going to see a lot of Moeen Ali. We've, we might not with the Ashes coming up and the Test Series starting. But we'll see a fair bit of Guptill and we'll see more of Pat Brown as well 2 for 24 um, we're worried about his second season blues but they haven't materialised yet so then there were the three rained off games Durham now I'm on very solid ground when I say that you entirely rubbish Durham you saw no hope for them um, well they defeated Northampton in a tight and exciting game, the Street, by seven runs. Darcy Short looks like a very good signing for them, doesn't he? Both with bat and with ball.
1: Uh, he does. I, by all accounts, they played very well, and it was a, a sort of typical Durham scrappy performance. You know, It's quite a weird score, 148 for four, um, which is what they meant, ended up defending, because it looks as though they've they've really missed out and someone's eaten up too many balls and someone's played too slowly and I think one of their openers, Steele, got a 35 or 33 type of an innings. Um, but they know Chester Street very well. They know the boundary sizes. They know who to bowl when from which end and it, it, it was by all accounts a very good performance. But I will um, Pracy, that uh, assessment of yours that I, I was miles out by saying that they were roundly thrashed at Old Trafford on Sunday.
0: <laughs> they were. Well, let's, let's talk briefly about that game because uh, for me, and is this just me being too nerdy? I didn't see the game, but I, I looked at the scorecard avidly and Stephen Croft opened the batting, ended up 65 not out of 43 balls. I thought, hmm, he's not getting much of the strike. Well... Staggering thing is Of the last 90 balls bowled He faced only 29 of them Hmm. Uh, Glenn Maxwell I suppose Is going to try and hog the strike 58 from 33 He looks like he's going to be Fabulous for Lancashire You mentioned that last week You mentioned James Faulkner as well And it was a shellacking By 72 runs In a tournament which could yet be More hampered by rain And also where teams are Very closely matched Net run rate's going to be significant It was great wasn't it To see both lancashire winning and winning well and winning spectacularly but also the crowds they had in i saw on twitter someone had done a, a film of the crowd and it was it was packed it was well apart from the temporary stand mm. which was, takes i think does it take up to about 25000 or so so they must have got something in the region of 18 000 to 20000 for that game
1: yeah i mean it's it's um it's it's definitely good to see as we were saying earlier i think it's uh We've got to hope that this post World Cup buzz does materialise, and I th- to be honest, as well, I think Lancashire are a good enough side that, and have enough players that are sort of a pool, I suppose, in especially um, Maxwell, um, that people will come and watch them. And I think it's a rare thing in English T20 cricket, in particular, for some of, for, for fans to flock just for one particular star name. But there's just a handful of them this year: De Villiers and Maxwell, probably the two standouts, where people who won't necessarily Uh, maybe cricket fans who don't necessarily go to that many county games um, will actually come down and watch them and yeah it'll be interesting to see if that's a pattern that develops
0: Uh, Yorkshire you had some hopes for Yorkshire Uh, well they were defeated by Derbyshire another side that we've written off Mark Watt Mm. The Scotsman, 4 mm. for 19 And the evergreen Ravi Rampal I, I don't know how that man Still gets out in the park it's a, it's a testament to sheer will And determination and desire But he's still doing it Derbyshire is still cobbling together Some kind of a team And they were a serious threat last year In the in the T20 blast Could they just confound expectations again? I know it's very early to say We're trying to read the runes from one game But Yorkshire are a tough side and they took him down Billy Godelman 70 off 56 it's almost like he knows exactly what he's doing
1: well we're talking of golden oldies we also had the the sight of the oldest ever uh, player in an English T20 game which was Darren Stevens uh, in that game the ripe old age of 43 Um, And, you know, you were wondering if this is only the record in English T20, he must be reasonably close to the global one. He's actually 10 years short of someone who played for Botswana earlier this year. Would you believe it?
0: Matt, that is an absolutely delicious statistic, and that's what we get you on for. That was the clash of the loan signings. Don Bess Mm. playing for Yorkshire. We've got to get used to that. Two for 30. Uh, In a week that wasn't massively notable for spinners, I am notwithstanding, a little bit for Parkinson Parkinson picked up 3 for 30 in Lancashire's match against Durham Uh, Finally, let's take a little look at Birmingham Bears an easy win over Leicestershire you've got a fear for Leicestershire 115 Mm -hmm. for 9, Birmingham winning it with 31 balls to spare Ashton Agar, that we'll all remember from Ash's series of yore back in 2013 now with an unbeaten 41 The weirdness of watching Fidel Edwards turning out for the Birmingham Bears. His first over, three for two in that over. Both openers and I think the number three. It's a very bizarre looking scorecard. He ended up with four for 22. Henry Brooks, Warwickshire are going with pace, aren't they? And just picking up on what I said at the top of the programme, I wonder, they might be onto something there. It It might be a bit of a slow burn, Birmingham.
1: Well, equally, Agar and Patel both wanted to run a ball. I think, to be honest, as much as anything, I think that game demonstrated just how uh, miserable the T20 campaign Leicestershire are in for without trying oh. to mince my words too much. They don't have an no, you've not. you've, you've minced you've no words there, Matt. <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't have a single overseas player uh, signed for any of the tournament and I think are in have a fair few off-field issues to sort out from what I gather um, so yeah I think it was no massive surprise especially after losing three wickets in the first over to see them scrap up to a very uncompetitive total and it be chased down easily but I will say um, I was I was intrigued to see Ashton Agar bat at four for Birmingham which is Perhaps a little bit higher than we're used to. He often comes in in the sort of lower middle order for Perth and to no particular acclaim in the past couple of years. Um, often, in fairness, until this year, Perth have usually not needed him because they've had such a good top order and their bowlers have done a job. But it'll be an interesting development if he stays there and keeps going like he did the other day. He got 41 not out off 28 balls on a pitch where no one really got in um, besides him and Ed Pollock, of course. So, um, yeah, I think Birmingham... We didn't really discuss much the other day, but I think they might, might yet compete for the quarters. Well, so that's
0: your north group. Uh, Lanks sit atop it with Worcestershire, Birmingham, Derbyshire, Durham. These are very early stages for the... Uh, seem to be thinking about the table. North Hunts down the bottom, having just played the one game and lost it. So, what have we got to look forward to? Big games coming up this week, Matt. Who, wh- which are the ones that really take your eye we've got the, the tournament's going to start i think to build momentum over the course of the next week this time next week we may actually have some trends that we can talk about
1: well someone in the i assume hampshire or sussex marketing department a couple of years ago decided to come up with Uh, a name for a derby that I personally didn't know exist, but, uh, their, their game between those two sides on Wednesday night is being sold as El Clásico. Um, whether or not that'll turn into a sort of Real Madrid Barcelona style thriller or indeed a, a, a cynical game where everyone's getting sent off, um, we, we look forward to seeing uh, then Thursday looks like an interesting one we've got Glamorgan going to the Oval which is w- always a, uh, a picture for Surrey haters
0: well is it, uh, is it six <laughs> consecutive wins Glamorgan have got I, so, yeah. I, I believe this stems back to an incident way back when in a 45 over or even 50 over a side game in which Alex Stewart left the last ball of Surrey's innings when they had 438 and they're so infuriated robert crofts glamorgan that they were determined that they were never going to let surrey strut again and we're going to prove a point well they proved it over and over again i've heard boos at the oval when they got defeated by Glamorgan very badly a few years back
1: um well quite um it, i'll be intrigued to see Sur- surrey will have uh, ollie pope back and liam plunkett back i understand so ollie pope back and that soon really i mean yeah. that's
0: incredible news because there was talk about him being out until September but that would make a massive difference to Surrey
1: yeah him and him and Billings both had serious injuries at the same time and I think Pope is going to beat Billings back by about three weeks but both of those are, are, are very quick recoveries uh, in the grand scheme um, we also have a, a Roses match on Thursday night to look forward to which is always good fun uh, and I think more interestingly probably is just that the quantity of games that quite a few teams are, their season is suddenly going to form some kind of a pattern. Um, not to have three games this week. Surrey have three games this week. I think Middlesex have three games. There's a lot of teams who will suddenly be four or five games into their season, uh, by the time we're next speaking to you. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll be able to kind of piece together, uh, who needs to do what and who needs to, uh, buck up their ideas uh, if they are to get through to the quarters and we'll have some kind of league league table that means something for them.
0: well it's a beautiful week week of weather ahead as well we're looking at massive temperatures on the top of the world cup bounce on top of all that cricket is achieving in this mass, magnificent year of cricketing delicious lovely goodness if you can get to a game go to a game uh, it's sure to appeal and enthrall there have been some fantastic games to start us off with and as Matt has said there are some delicious ones in prospect as well I think it's time for us to wrap up uh, regardless of the parakeets I think the, the midges and the mosquitoes are starting to get to us it's time we hunkered down indoors but we'll be back at pretty much the same time this week uh, next week I think in, to discuss what I hope will be a whole smorgasbord of results no rain Lots of delightful intrigue and interest. Just going to finish off with my player of the week. If you have one, feel free to chip in, but it has to be Cameron Delport. What an extraordinary innings. Anybody who was there to witness it will tell you it was one of the most remarkable things they've ever witnessed in their life. The fastest T20 in domestic cricket was set by Andrew Simons back in 2004 when people didn't really know what to expect and he hijacked... He hijacked the bowlers with his brutality. Cameron Delport, everybody knows about Cameron Delport. He's been around the houses. He's been hither and yon. Surrey, with six international bowlers, had no answer to him. He was truly remarkable. Have you got a better better idea than Cameron Delport?
1: I'm not sure I can compete with a performance like that, not just from Delport, but from yourself. In
0: that case, from Matt Roller, from myself, Daniel Norcross, and to Cameron Delport, well played, old boy to next week. Thanks for listening.